know, is more than a movement disorder. It can also affect your emotions. It can also affect your digestive tract. It can also affect um, your smell, your taste, a number of different what are called non-motor symptoms. And exercise helps all of those. Exercise helps your brain in many, many, many ways. Um, I can't say enough about exercise. I personally, since I've had this job, have been really motivated to exercise because it seems to help everything. So um, again, BrianGrant.org if you want to learn about more about that. The second bucket that we work on is nutrition. How many people here have been has have had anybody talk to them about diets and Parkinson's? Anyone? Yeah, good, good, good. So Jim, what 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 have you guys been told? Well, this goes back to when my journey began in 2014, and I met with a nutritionist who said there was no hard data, but we looked at a balanced diet, tried to understand through some tests that we did how my system metabolizes the foods I eat, uh, looking at mitochondria function, uh, and then coming up with uh, a very short list of supplements to help my overall systems functioning. Uh, that led to research on diet and dopamine. Uh, and it seems that a lot of things that we eat have dopamine in it. So that's good. Um, we like the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Uh, and actually, at 71 years old, I'm in the best shape I've been in, uh, in terms of, you know, eating well, uh, still enjoying my uh, sweet treats once in a while. Uh, I highly recommend the Trader Joe's Danish almond ring. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know that one. I got you. Uh, <laughs> I know that one. And, and it's not exactly in the Mediterranean diet. The almond part does work. But, um, I, but you know what? That's right. You live life. You know, Jim, I'm glad to hear that at 71, you're in the best shape of your life. Yes. That's great. That's terrific. That's what we want to hear. And, you know, I think a lot of what you said was, is exactly what we say. Not a lot of hard data. So it's not the same as when you go and you look at medicines, right? Where you have these double blind, randomized trials, right? We take a medication. Some people get it. Some people don't. At the end of the study, we look to see who's doing better. You don't really have that in, in nutrition. So it's hard to say hard and fast what it is that's helping or what it isn't helping. But what we do know is there is pretty good evidence around the Mediterranean diet for a lot of diseases, quite frankly, and Parkinson's is one of them. And so when you think about a Mediterranean diet, the staples are a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables, whole grains, lean meats, nuts and seeds, fresh herbs, um, and vegetable oils like olive oil, um, yeah, olive oil, which is also very delicious. Um, olive oil, avocado oil, avocados, great fat. And so when you look at that, that diet, that is actually a great diet. It's a diet we promote. Um, and it's, um, and I'm glad to hear you're eating that. We don't talk a lot about supplements at the Brian Grant Foundation because it's hard to know. There's not great evidence around a, lo a lot of the supplements though. Vitamin D and vitamin C seem to be a good thing to consider. Again, talking to your doctor about those things. Um, but really, we try to promote eating how, what Jim just said, a nice, healthy, balanced diet based on the Mediterranean diet um, with a lot of water, 
right? Because a water <laughs> is really important. Oh, I forgot the Mediterranean diet. The other one, the big one is legumes. So your beans, right? Which are great, filled with fiber, help with constipation. Fiber and water are your friends when it comes to keeping things moving through your digestive tract. And so we promote a lot of those types of foods. It's funny it's called the Mediterranean diet because I do understand why it is based on what most people in, Medi what people in Mediterranean eat. But actually it is something that can be, um, can be the basis of any diet, really, when you think about it. Fruits, vegetables, beans whole grains, nuts, seeds, herbs, the, those are, those are, they could be applied to just about any type of diet. So please don't let the word Mediterranean scare you off if you aren't eating this way, because you can easily look at your own diet and eat, add those foods to your, to your diet. Well, not easily. I won't say easily because it's never easy to make a lifestyle change. So I won't say it's easy, um, but with a little effort, you can, you can make it happen. Um, and some good, you know, and so again, it's both your overall health, these a Mediterranean diet, the staples of Mediterranean diet are great for everyone, but it's also looking specifically at some of the things we know about Parkinson's too. So one of the things I mentioned, constipation, that's a very common symptom in Parkinson's. And so lots of beans, lots of whole grains, that fiber that, uh, that will really help combined with a lot of water. So make sure you're eating water, drinking teas are great too. Um, things that are not dehydrating, but hydrating are really, are really good for that. Um, you also have, you know, smell and taste. Those things are really important when you think about eating. So yeah, those where your herbs come in, your nuts and seeds, herbs, they help with making food flavorful and helping to get the digestive system going by making things taste good and making, allowing you to smell the food before you eat it. So if you're having problems with taste and smell, that can help too. Um, and then there's also the, you may have been told about the interaction that some, some uh, levodopa can have with protein. So that's one other thing to consider when you're eating a diet, uh, uh, when you're eating a, um, any diet, quite frankly, is you do want to try to not eat proteins around the time that you're taking your levodopa. Some people have, in some people, Levodopa protein will interfere with the absorption of levodopa. It'll interfere with the absorption of your medications. So making sure that you're not eating a protein-rich meal around the times you take medications is really important. Um, and so there are other things that we talk about in on our website too. You can go to briangrant.org and again take a look at that. We do kind of talk about, like I said, the Mediterranean diet, but why are the, those things beneficial um, for people living with Parkinson's? Um, and then the last one we talk about is we talk about a supportive community. And the reason why we talk about a supportive community is because really your brain um, needs social interaction. It needs social interactions for a lot of reasons. It's helpful for your mood, but it also is helpful keeping your, your neurons firing, keeping your brain going. So, you know, there's a lot involved in having a conversation with other people and getting to places, talking to people, navigating different situations. There's a lot going on in your brain and those are all things that we wanna keep going. So we try very hard to bring people together around activities. So in Portland, um, again, all bets are off in 2020. We're doing a whole lot of things virtually and not very many things in person. Well, nothing in person, quite frankly. Um, but we do host cooking classes. So we've brought people together to learn from local chefs or local nutritionists. We cook meals together and we eat. That's probably my favorite one because I do like food. 
Um, and we also do um, some other events where we bring people together and we, um, you know, either either around exercise or cooking or, or, um, or just actually just going out to have fun and be social. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Just like there's nothing wrong with that almond ring every once in a while, that almond damage ring, right? You have to go out and enjoy your life. That's a really important part of, of what we try to say to people. The reason why we're trying to help, help people manage their symptoms through exercise and nutrition is so that they can continue to enjoy their lives. So our ultimate goal is that people love their life. They have a great time. They're enjoying their lives because part, you can live with Parkinson's for a very, very long time. And if we can manage the symptoms, you can enjoy all of that time. So, um, so yeah, so again, you know, if you guys have any questions, I mean, I don't know if people have people been to the website, BrianGrant.org? No. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, we post, Paul, yeah, we, don't we, we post some information from the Brian Grant Foundation from time to time, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yes, we do, but I'll put a link uh, in the resources. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, no worries. I mean, I know one thing I will say is having worked at the Fox Foundation and now the Brian Grant Foundation, I will say I do understand there's a lot of, there's a lot of organizations out there, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a lot of stuff, stuff out there. So trying to direct yourself to where you want to go can be difficult. We do specialize and focus pretty much on exercise and nutrition. So if that's something you're looking for, that's something you want to look at, that's a good reason to go to BrianGrant.org um, and, and, and get that type of information. But I do also understand that you guys are, it's, um, I spend a lot of time sometimes just telling people what the different organizations do and how we're different. So um, if you haven't been to the Brian Grant Foundation site, that's okay. But if you want to know more about exercise and nutrition, it's, it's a resource for you. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful resource. It really is. Thank yeah. you. So what is, what is the future of the Brian Grant Foundation? Like, where, what are some of the projects that you have in mind or what, what direction do you find that you want the organizations going in? Well, um, so for one thing, I will say we got, we did get interrupted due to the coronavirus, but we are working on a second online training. So we were hoping to get that up this year. It's, um, we're not sure how it's going to go, oh. but um, essentially the second training, the second piece of exercise that we want to work on is, so now we have up there, what's the safe, what are safety considerations for exercising with Parkinson's and what are some of the effect, most effective movements for the different types of symptoms? Now what we wanted to do was go into how do you modify activities based on people's different functional levels. So we know that a lot of people um, who have Parkinson's can, can handle very high intensity exercise. Brian's one of them. I meet people all the time with Parkinson's who can handle high intensity exercise. You guys met Jimmy Choi. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, 24 marathons like that? I mean, that, that's a man that can handle very high intensity exercise. So if you know that somebody can handle very high intensity exercise, what are some good things for them to be doing what, and in terms of what we know is very helpful for them for Parkinson's? And then you have everybody all the way to people who are maybe, wheel, maybe um, wheelchair bound or need a walker or need some other sort of assistive device in order to maintain, to be able to continue to exercise. So the next sort of, trainings that we're working on for professionals and it applies to people with Parkinson's as well. You're always welcome to take our trainings. Um, but 
when we is to look across the lens and help people understand you know that whole dynamic from the people who have con who are very high intensity um, types of exercises to people who might need some more uh, some assistive devices in order to exercise and everything in between. So that's the kind of next place we want to go because we know again that not everybody is in the same boat when it ter in terms of like what they can and can't do when it in right. for exercise. Um, for nutrition, we have been um, doing some really fun things um, in terms of we have a, a, a we have a couple of of um, chefs here, local chefs here we work with. So we're hoping to put even more cooking videos online and more recipes online. But we also are working with an occupational therapist as well right now to create some videos and some more content for people um, and to talk about how to remain able to cook. So one of the things we hear from people in our cooking classes is that it can become <clears throat> difficult to be in the kitchen and navigate the kitchen and prepare a meal and, and sit down and eat the meal and safely. And so the next kind of set of things we're working on is stepping back from the, just the recipes and how, to, how to's of, of, of the food itself and looking at, okay, how can you organize your kitchen? What types of tools are there out there that can make cooking easier? So um, I actually, I never knew about this thing called a rocking knife. Has anybody seen one? A rocking, okay, I now use them because they're amazing. It's like, instead of having to chop with a knife, it has, it's, it's a blade that's curved and on, it has a handle at the top and you just rock it. Oh yeah, you go like that. Yeah. It's brilliant. Okay. So there's all, then there's a whole host of things like that out there that can help you opening jars, um, cans, chopping things, holding things in place on a chopping board. There are a number of tools out there that can help people <coughs> cook. So organize your, your kitchen, the types of tools that can help if you have some mobility issues that make it difficult to cook. And then of course, when you're actually sitting down to um, eat, there are some basic things that to remember to keep, make sure that you're chewing correctly, swallowing correctly, and eating safely. And um, I don't take that la you know that last one lightly because it, chewing and swallowing problems are an issue for people with Parkinson's. They are a very important issue to address. Um, if you are having those issues, you should uh, speech pathologist is is somebody you should speak to but our occupational therapist can also talk through some basic things that a lot of us forget i'm not gonna lie i often eat dinner sitting on my sofa watching tv totally distracted that's a terrible way to eat and so um just some common things that we might want to remember to do as you sit down to eat so we're like again trying to look at the whole spectrum of nutrition from how do you get your food to how do you prepare your food, to eating the food, to what's in the food, so that people can continue to have a well-balanced diet at home. When you cook at home, you people who cook at home tend to eat healthier diets. So that's one reason to continue to cook at home is you're, you know it's in your food, you can prepare your food, and it tends to be healthier. The other reason to keep cooking at home is what we talked about earlier with social interaction. The more you keep continuing doing your everyday activities, the more you get to keep that function, right? The kind of use it or lose it. Right. Same thing applies with cooking. There's a lot going on cognitively when you cook. 
right? You have to know what the ingredients are, prepare the ingredients. You might have two things going at the same time that you have to watch and, and time. There's a lot of cognitive stuff happening when you cook. So it's really a great activity to help with cognitive function um, because we now also know that uh, people with Parkinson's can have some cognitive decline and that that cognitive decline actually leads to some mobility issues, right? Because when you're moving through the world, your brain's making a ton of really fast decisions. So we want to try to keep the brain going at that rate so that mobility, so that it doesn't lead to a decline in mobility. So again, that's the kind of nutrition, looking at the bigger spectrum there. And then, you know, <laughs> poor COVID really kind of made, 2020, we were, you know, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how many people here started 2020 off with, this is our year. In January, we were like so excited because we were starting to, we were about to take our programs out across the country. That is no longer happening um, this year, but it is in our future to try to bring more of our programming to other places, not just online, but outside of Oregon in person as well. So again, that's, that's not gonna happen this year, but I hope you will look for that. Um, we've been taking our training to different places across the United States. Um, and it's a great, it's a great resource for people um, to actually be able to come in and learn. It's led by Jenny. If you've taken online training, you know Jenny Wilhelm. She's, she leads the video tutorials. So she also leads the in-person training. She's a physical therapist with an um, incredible background in Parkinson's disease. And so having that in-person um, experience is really, really valuable for people who are trying to host exercise classes or what have you. Um, so hopefully we are, we are looking to the end of the year to know what we might be able to do in 2021. Um, and please just keep in touch with us there. And of course, if anybody ever feels like coming to Portland, Oregon one day, <laughs> we also host a bunch of events here as well. And one thing, Katrina, do you have an assessment tool for people with Parkinson's to evaluate their progress with exercise? Do you have that? Anything like you know what we are that was that is part of the next training. Uh, so that online training I was talking about about function. So one uh, of the things okay. we definitely see is that people really need to know. I mean, so just so you know, again, you know, we we had this whole conversation about stages of Parkinson's, and it's really hard to know, right? Because it's not Parkinson's is a um, you know, the way it's been described to me is it's kind of like you're going along, everything's great, then you kind of come, you have a moment, then you plateau, you're kind of going along, then you have a moment. So it's kind of hard to like really talk about stages, but it is important to know how you're doing and if things are improving. So a couple of the assessments that we are working on, so the assessments we're going to show and teach in our training are not ours. They are commonly done. One is called the time, the tuggy test, timed up and go. So essentially you put a chair, you have somebody, you put a chair at one end uh, and then you put a cone at the other. You have a person sit down and then when you say go, they stand up, they walk to the cone, they come around the cone, they return to seated. And then you time that. Right. And um, that, and then, you know, after you've been exercising for a while, you can time it again. And after you've been exercising for a while, you can time it again. And that's one measure that's used um, in, in physical therapy clinics. It's used in scientific studies right. um, to try to determine, you know, to see where people are in terms of evaluating their ability to get up, walk, turn around a corner and come back to seated. Okay. 
Um, so that's one of the tests that we're using. Um, there's a couple of others that are similar to that effect. Um, you know, the other one that is important to kind of know about is your ability to get up and out, down off the ground. So that's another one is just kind of assessing, can you go all the way from lying on the ground to standing, mm -hmm. right? And it's another way of kind of measuring your, your agility and your flexibility and, and your ability to get up and down. So those are some good ones. I would say the tug test is probably another, is a really good one. Um, if you're looking for something to do, especially in a gym setting, because you can have people doing them. You know, there's another one that's a six minute walk. That's another one that's a great one in a classroom setting because you can set up a, um, you know, you can set up a circuit, a, a loop, and basically people walk around that loop for six minutes and counting how many laps they can, they can make. Mm -hmm. And then you do it again, um, same loop, same distance loop, and people can do it together. So no. you can do it in a classroom setting. Mm -hmm. um, just one thing to remember, you know, Sometimes it's the time of day, right? So, uh, you know, some people don't, yeah. So sometimes people uh, are better in the morning. Sometimes they're better in the afternoon. So, you know, and your medications are really important too. So if you're in an on time. Sleeping is always an issue. So trying, if you, if you are trying to do an assessment of your own self, just keep those things in mind, right? You want to try to replicate the same exact thing every time, same time of day, same medication, same amount of eating, all of that. And then just also remember that, you know, sometimes like staying the same is great, mm -hmm. you know? So like I, I've seen people, I meet people all the time who are like pushing themselves and they're like, every time I'm doing better. And I'm like, you know, at some point the human body is only capable of so much. Mm -hmm. So sometimes just staying the same is awesome. And just making sure you're, you're asking yourself, what are your goals? in terms of, of exercise, what are your goals in terms of diet and, and try to make them achievable <laughs> because, you know, as our friend Jim said, you know, you have to every once in a while eat an almond Danish. Sometimes you do. And that's okay. Um, if that's, you know, if a goal for you is to mostly eat great, 80% of the time eat great, 20% of the time enjoy a sweet snack um, because it's because you have to love your life and live your life. Um, but so that's all, that's the only thing I would say is sometimes these assessments, they're not, they're, they're not, they're only valuable if you know what you're testing and why. And, um, and sometimes they can make people feel badly um, and they shouldn't. Right, right. I, I was thinking more, of was like something to motivate them to, you know, ah, like, yeah. like a motivational tool, you know, just, you know, to notice that their mood's better and that they're yeah. flexible, you know, or, you know, just yeah. as a motivation to keep them coming back or to keep Ah, them yeah, great. You know, I do think a lot of times, like, people don't step back to ask themselves what the goal is. Right. Right. Like right. we just kind of walk into it and we're like, I've been told I need to exercise or I've been told I need to eat differently. And maybe like just setting a goal for yourself from the get go. Like I want to be able to walk around, you know, my neighborhood for 10 minutes without needing to sit. Right. Or I want to be able to, um, I'd like to be able to like, you know, get a good night's sleep. You know, maybe just some asking yourself, like, what is the one thing you would like to see out of it and then measuring yourself against your own goal. 
Um, I think that that's often something we forget to do. And it's really hard when you're getting all these messages in about what exercise is going to become. And sometimes it can, can become pretty prescriptive. <laughs> and and yeah. it is supposed to be fun. You right, know, right, um, right. being active should be fun. I know it's not always fun. Um, but I would say, you know, one thing for myself personally is that um, going into the coronavirus, I, I went to the gym a lot. And it sort of became this thing in my mind that, that exercise meant I went to a gym and I worked at a certain heart rate and I got so many minutes in and so many steps in and I'm not going to a gym anymore. I'm walking around my block and um, doing some apps. I enjoy yoga and I enjoy Pilates. So I've been doing some apps and I have found that my physical fitness is exactly the same. And, but the activity I'm doing is so much more enjoyable. Interesting. It, yeah. It's so much more enjoyable to take a walk around my neighborhood, to check out a new yoga app, um, to do stuff like that rather than trying to go into a gym and time myself on the elliptical. And I'm not saying that there's not a good place and an important place for that. And some people really do like that. But I have, and there goes my screen. Sorry about that. But I have found, you know, just some of, some of what has been interesting to me about this this time has been that it has forced me to rethink some of the habits I have and um and rethink some of the things i've been doing and the routine i've been in to say well what is it that you've actually been trying to get out of exercise turns out i just want to be able to you know walk and 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 be independent and go for walks and do stuff to that effect so i have found that being outside in my home is is just great um it also has made me appreciate the outdoor space a lot. I don't know about you guys, but we are very lucky here in Oregon that we have the ability yeah. to stay outside and be outside and be socially distant without a problem. Yeah. Is that the same for you guys? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. You, you don't yeah. want to be in the streets of Portland now, though, do you? I mean, the funny thing is it's like, I'll tell you the truth is that they keep showing you in the media the same like two or three blocks of yeah. downtown Portland. It's actually not like that at all. I wish I could show you guys the photos from it's my- small, It's a small area. Yeah, it's a really small area. Most of it is very, most of it is very, very calm. And I take a morning walk every day. Because um, that is one thing I would say, like the parks, I don't know about you guys, but the, the parks have become this place where it's everybody needs the parks right now. Right. And so by about midday, they get crowded. Yeah. So, um, so I have re reworked my sleep routine. So I'm going back a little earlier so I can get up a little earlier before everybody's out, on, out in the parks. Um, but to me, being outside has been the saving grace of this whole moment. Um, so if you guys are able to get outside, that's awesome. Because I, I do know that there's some cities where trying to stay six feet away from people is not actually possible. Right. Um, so I do feel grateful for our outdoor space that we have here and the ability to do that. Right. I also agree with you, Lynn, that we've, had, we've been able to connect with people from all over the world now. Right. Because, you know, we were the same way when we started doing our cooking stuff. We were always like, we have to find a chef in Portland. And now we're like, we can find a chef anywhere. You know, we could do it. You, know, we can uh, find, you, can, you, you can find a, a French chef. Yes. I was like, we have, I, yeah. So, yeah. All, so it does open up this world. Now, I do understand that this isn't the same as being in person for sure. And, um, and so I would never say that this could take the place of it. But I do. Under, I, I agree with you, Lynn. It would be nice after all this is over to have a hybrid. Yeah, a hybrid. Right. You still do the stuff online so that anybody anywhere can participate, but you right. still remain having 
um, interesting ways for people to be together in person. Right. Um, so, yeah. Right. Question about intensity of yeah. the exercise program. If we're doing 10 things, and I'll just 10 things, should they all be intense? 50%, 25%? How, how do you determine so that I stay motivated that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing under that guise of intensity, intensity yeah. training? Hey, you can drive yourself nuts. Yeah, it'll make you nuts. It for sure will make you nuts, especially when, like, some of the studies, I'm just going to say this here. I know we're getting recorded, so please, but, uh, you know, when they say, like, 65 to 85% of your heart rate, have you guys exercised to 85% of your heart rate? <laughs> it's, I tried it, and I was like, that's really, really hard. That is yeah. really, really hard. My you know? time was 127. I got it up to, so far, like, 110. Yeah, so it's, you know, it can be really hard to try to maintain that intensity. But I think when you think about intensity, yes, there is one piece of it that is your, your heart rate, right? Because right. that's getting the blood flow to the brain. And that's helping, you know, with all of, with getting blood flow there, getting nutrients there and, and regenerating and re yeah. the cells, right? So, you know, in our um, sort of workouts that we talk to people about, we say about 10 to 15 minutes of high intensity, getting your heart rate up, right? But you still keep your heart rate up when you do other intense exercises. And intensity can also be, doesn't always have to be your heart rate. It can be how much your, um, how many lunges you do, how tired you get, right? It can be how many reps you do of something. It can be how long you hold it for, right? So there's like the aerobic piece, which is getting your heart rate up and measuring that because you're moving. And then there's the part that's maybe saying, um, I'm gonna do uh, something like, um, I'm gonna do some, some lunges and I'm gonna do this many reps and this many sets and pushing that intensity. Um, you want to work the whole uh, hard enough to be having able to speak, but not so not like a, yeah. you should yeah. be able to hold a conversation, but just holding a, but just barely, you should be winded like that. So kind of what we talk to people about is again, starting off, warming yourself up, getting that heart rate up with some 10 minutes of pretty high intensity aerobics so that the heart rate now up. And then depending on the exercises you wanna to put together for different symptoms, looking at you know, how many you wanna do and how many reps you wanna do and trying to keep the heart rate up as you're going, right? But also making sure you're comfortable because if you are finding that you get to a point where you're having a hard time holding a conversation, you're probably exercising too hard. But if you're also able to just sit there and talk just like this without a problem, you're probably not exercising hard enough, right? So maybe increase that intensity. That's great. I, um, I just wanted to ask a quick question about nutrition. Does sure. it come up about the importance of organic um, foods and, and then also ketogenic? Has that been something that has been, or intermittent fasting? Has that something, yeah, been, yeah that's been looked at? Yeah, so I'll start with um, the ketogenic and the intermittent fasting because to be there, they aren't. There isn't really good evidence, but yeah, there. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not a thing, right? Yeah. So the idea behind ketogenic and intermittent fasting is because you don't have carbs in your system, your body is forced to burn ketones, and that process is supposed is supposed to be helpful for a lot of biological processes, including including some people say Parkinson's. There isn't great evidence that that's true. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that there isn't evidence. So when you think about ketogenic, the hard thing about ketogenic is it's, you know, you might think, all right, no carbs, all fat. That's actually really hard. That's hard. It's really hard because, I mean, it, they're not talking about fat like bacon grease. They're talking about fat like olive oil, avocados. It's right. really hard right. to get your diet filled with really good, really good fats at that, that pace. So um, I never tell people don't do it. It's just, it's one of those things where the evidence isn't great. It's kind of a hard diet to follow. If you want to give it a shot, do. If you feel better, great. But if you don't and you're finding the diet super hard to follow, that's okay. Um, Intermittent fasting is, you guys might know, it's like you take you take a break. You let your body, same idea. If you're, there's no carbs in your system, your body is going to have to, for, is going to be forced to, to break down ketones. And so in that case, instead of not eating carbs, it's eat in a window period of time, some t- somewhere between, you know, they, it's different. I've heard all kinds of different things, but eating within an eight to 12 window, eight to 12 hour window of time and fasting for a 12 to 16 hour period of time right. so during your sleep and the couple of hours around it. Um, or some people do an actual day of fasting and then a couple of days on and then an actual day of fasting. So there's intermittent fasting. Again, the, the evidence isn't really great, but it's not, if you don't find yourself really hungry, (laughs) which is one of the problems with intermittent fasting and you want to give it a shot and you feel better. That's great. The nice thing about intermittent fasting is during the eating hours, you can eat your Mediterranean diet. See the plug there I made. No, I'm not going to say anything you want. You can and, eat your and, and diet. Dan, and the Danish. And your Danish, that's right. Um, so it gives you a little bit more food choice than the ketogenic diet, but you are stuck in some these hours. And you may wake up and feel hungry. And if you feel hungry, you should probably eat, right? Um, I It's funny because I, I tried the intermittent fasting diet. I was like, I don't know. But I did. one thing I did learn was that I, I was just kind of waking up in the morning and eating because that's how I was raised. And I wasn't really hungry, right? right? It's just like, you know, decades of a habit just stuck with right. me. And then right. when I actually was like, I was like, well, wait, I can't eat till 10 in the morning. That seems late. I actually was fine. So it does kind of just challenge a little bit about how you're eating and why, and if you're actually hungry when you're eating. So in that case, it might be helpful. Um, but like I said, the evidence, evidence isn't great. So you're trying those things to see if they make you feel better, knowing that there really isn't any evidence about if it's going to affect your disease progression. And then Lynn, remind me of the first thing you asked me as well. Oh, uh, organic. Organic. Okay. Organic. So there is really good evidence that pesticide exposure leads to Parkinson's. There are a number of pesticides that are on a list that have very close associations to Parkinson's disease. There is less evidence that once you have Parkinson's, that organic, that pesticide, that pesticide exposure makes that worse or makes that better. So, um, but there is a very, uh, there is a very clear link between pesticides and Parkinson's. So, we do promote organic foods. We do talk to people about organic foods. Having said that, we also try not to make people feel badly about what their ability to get organic foods or afford organic foods or find organic foods. However, if they are available to you, organic foods probably limit your pesticide exposure. We don't know if that helps you once you have Parkinson's, but it's not a bad idea anyway. And if you have, um, you know, people, you're, if you have children or other people around you, it's also helpful to have them limit their exposure to pesticides. We 
try very hard to work with the Unified Parkinson's Advocacy Council that's run through the Michael J. Fox Foundation and others on um, limiting pesticides in, in growing food because that's probably our better bet, right? Is to try to go after, hey, we know these are some pesticides that have been linked to Parkinson's. It would be great if we could ban them or limit their use um, because there are alternatives, by the way. There are, there are alternatives, um, but we're hopeful that maybe that's one way we'll be able to get at the pesticide issue versus trying to get everybody to, to eat organic foods. But yes, we do promote organic foods. If they're accessible to you, if they're affordable, great. If you have a hard time with those foods, one thing that you can also do is um, there's a group called the Environmental Working Group. Um, I think that their, I think their website is ewg.org, Environmental right. Working Group, and they publish a list of what they call their dirty dozen, yeah, and so basically they'll, they'll take you through the foods, the produce that have the highest pesticides loads and have the least pesticide loads, so that kind of gives you, if you're not going to purchase organic, it kind of gives you a sense of where you should sway in terms of what you purchase. It, um, clearly, when you're dealing with something that has a heavy rind, Right, so oranges, watermelons, things to that effect, you have, um, you're not eating that rind. So they have a little bit, it's a little bit easier to avoid the pesticide exposure than say a berry, right? Where um, it's, a, it's small and, and it doesn't have a hard rind. So a pesticide there would be a lot harder to get out of the fruit. Um, and berries are really good for Parkinson's. Very good for everyone, but really good for Parkinson's. But um, so you might just want to take a look at the environmental working group as well to kind of see which which produce is better and which is worse. And I was very impressed the fact that you had a book virtual book group for ending Parkinson's disease. Yeah, that was yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, have you guys read it? Oh, we, we actually had um, Dor Dr. Dorsey come speak to one of our meetings. That was a big hit too. So. Oh, I, yeah, I I think um, I was. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And it's like, I was so happy to see the book published because I think there has been confusion about pesticides, even though the evidence is pretty clear, you know, um, and I do think that there there's an opportunity there, not just to help people with Parkinson's, but all kinds of cancers yeah. and other, other diseases that have been linked to Parkinson's or have been linked to these pesticides. And I think if we, as a community of people, are, who have diseases that are influenced by these pesticides can start standing up to say no more. Right. It would be a huge benefit to the generations that come after us. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I'm really concerned about drinking water because the pesticides of people that drink well water. And so that's like one of my initiatives that I want to look into with our Shakers Anonymous group and get speakers from um, the EPA concerning yeah. drinking water, because that's also an issue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, even here in Portland, we have very, we have some of the best, the cleanest water in the country, but I still filter it. Um, you know, yeah, it's not, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an issue. It, I would, I am of the belief that I would prefer that things are, that we use less chemicals um, in a lot of the things we do. Um, and I am much more of, I'm a public health person. My background is in public health. I have my master's in public health from Berkeley. And wow. our, we are much more of a like, um, if it's not proved safe, don't use it. Right. We are less of a, if it's not proved harmful, you can use it. 
it's just two different ways of looking at at the same um, same same issue. But I'm much more of a like until you can prove it safe. I prefer you didn't use it. Well, the the next day after Dr. Dorsey spoke, I was really concerned about pesticides. I've been thinking about it. And we had a new landscaper and he was spraying Roundup all oh. outside of our house. I was like, oh my God. Oh <laughs> no. Stop the Roundup. <laughs> yeah, it's used so so often. I mean, when I talk to people about pesticides, they think oftentimes that, that you're talking about big farms. And then when I tell them how many people have Roundup in their garage and everybody's like, <laughs> and I'm like yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's Great a pesticide. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a pesticide. One of the things about pesticides, for years, when we have uh, fruits or vegetables like zucchini or cherries or peaches or whatever, I always wash them first with soap and water, rinse them, and then I keep a spray bottle with half vinegar, half water on the sink. And I spray them with that and mix them up and then rinse them really well afterwards. And we've been doing that for years. The vinegar is supposed to help with the... Um, pesticide removal. So like, I mean, broccoli, I'm not going to wash that with soap and water, but I still use the vinegar uh, yeah. and, and rinse it well. Just yeah, that's, you made a really good point. I, you know, a lot of people rinse their, rinse their fruits and vegetables, but pesticides are actually, most pesticides aren't dissolved in water. They are, they need something like soap to dissolve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times, if you're just rinsing your, your fruits and vegetables underwater, you're not, you're not removing the pesticide mm -hmm. residues. And so that's a great, that's a really great point. Yeah, that's good. I'm curious about how you um, interact with the neurology community. You know, I would think that somebody gets a diagnosis of Parkinson's, they should, you know, know about you before they leave the office and, and get, you know, support and the right kind of thing. But do you actively work on that relationship and do you get those referrals? You know, we have done a better job of it in the last couple of years of trying to reach, I mean, we, people in Oregon, the neurologist in Oregon, Washington and Northern California. Yes, they know they know who we are. But we're trying to do a better job of reaching out to the to neurologists across the country. I sympathize with people with Parkinson's and their care providers because I do understand there's a lot of organizations. Um, and so I do know that when some of the times we talk to neurologists, they're like, I mean, who are you now? Um, and I get it. I get it. And so, um, you know, a lot of times what, what is helpful for us is when people, when people who know about us or learn about us or meet us go to their neurologist and say, hey, by the way, do you know the Brian Grant Foundation? I found their stuff useful. I think other people would too. Because mm -hmm. um, that helps them now not have this cold call from us. Um, that is, you know, that is another Parkinson's organization and they're trying to figure that out, right? Um, and so if we will, we would be grateful for any help with outreach. Um, the exercise professionals know us really well now. So the exercise pros and the PTs and the OTs and those guys all know us really well, but we would appreciate any help with outreach around uh, with neurologists and movement disorder specialists. Definitely. Any other? I'm trying to think. There's, you're, you're a wealth of information. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Katrina, those, those chefs that you work with, do they have any knowledge of Parkinson's or are they just talking about a well-balanced diet in general? 
Yeah, you know, the chefs that we've worked with have largely been not not Parkinson's experts at all. And in fact, they actually, when we sit down and we talk to them about Parkinson's and how nutrition affects the disease, they get their, you know, they get into their chefy world and they get really excited about it, right? Because, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, it's the same with exercise professionals. You know, I think everybody gets to a point in their career where they're like, I've been doing this for a while. And when they get this new, give me something new. Yeah, they, it's like they get really excited. And, you know, so when I first started, you know, we'd meet up with chefs and I was, I was always be a little nervous. Like, I don't want to make them feel badly about the cook, food they cook, you know, but I hope that they can work with us. And I've never had a chef not get excited to try to figure out how to create something that's really delicious um, within the parameters of what we talk to them right. about. And it's not right. just about the foods themselves. We're also like, look, if you give us a recipe that's too hard to create, Yes, yeah, so people are going to do it. Yeah, it, you know, we, we also have to remember that like fine dicing, chopping, things like that can be really hard for some of Parkinson's. So we found that um, they get really excited about it. But no, you know, and I feel like that's actually been kind of fun educating. The, um, Other people weren't aware yeah, of it. Yeah, so that they can be like, yeah, I'm going to think about that from this point forward. Right, because I mean, a lot of the chefs that we work with, they own restaurants, of course. And, you know, they think of, they, you know, it's never really occurred to them, right? That when people are coming into their restaurants, they might they have, have different issues. Yeah. Yeah. They might have some mobility issues that make it hard to eat that meal or make it hard to do some of this, you know? And so it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's nice it? to be able to educate people. Um, it's nice to be able to educate people about the, about the disease that are outside of the Parkinson's, than what you would say, traditional Parkinson's community. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask you something. So, um, oh, because the, the, I'm sorry, Marcia, go first. Hey, Rob had a question. It was just curious, Katrina, how you got from health to Parkinson's. <laughs> you know, I wish I, I could write a book on how did I get to where, I mean, I, I think the funnier one is that I'm now, hang, I, you know, this NBA champion. People are always like, so what's your, what do you know about basketball? I'm like, not much. Um, but <laughs> You know, when I start, when I was in the School of Public Health, of course, I was always very interested in, um, we back into like, what can you do to actually help people in their everyday lives make the choice, the healthy choice, the easier choice. And, um, and you know, throughout my career, I've worked on a bunch of different, um, different initiatives. I, I worked in a breast cancer organization for a while. I've worked on malaria, HIV, AIDS. I've worked in a number of different areas. And I thought what was really intriguing, I have to say about Parkinson's um, is that when I came to it in like 2008, it was very much like, there's not much you can do. There's some treatments. They might like, they stop working after a while. And I was just like, well, that, I mean, we can tell people with heart disease what to do. We can tell people with diabetes what to do. We can tell Right. And so this kind of neurologic and it's the spectrum of neurological conditions is that way. Right. Alzheimer's, it's sound sort of throw your hands up and, you know, and I was like, that can't possibly be true. And it was, but it wasn't until Brian, I met Brian, who was, um, you know, he's an athlete. So he's like, I've spent my whole life training. Anything that went wrong with me, I was able to fix by training. Right. Mm. And so he just was really frustrated by the fact that nobody could tell him how he might be able to do better with Parkinson's. And I just thought, you know, it's a really interesting, 
concepts. And then at that same exact time, it was the science was just starting to kind of come out saying, actually, guys, exercise is, is looking really good as a therapeutic uh, intervention here. And nutrition was kind of on the heels. So I just thought it was an, it, from a public health standpoint, to be able to help people manage their symptoms so that they can remain with a high quality of life doing the things that they love. Um, that just felt like a really good, a good place to, to use my knowledge. Well, the foundation's very lucky to have you. Thank you very much, Lynn. That's Thank you very spirit. much. Yeah. One, one last question, you know, the Parkinson's with the, with the chef, you know, we, a lot of us have lost our taste, you know, ability. Yep. Yep. So there's, there's special um, herbs and spices that, enhance the taste that pe that pe typical people with Parkinson's can taste foods like spice. I tend to gravitate towards more spicy foods because I yep. can taste that. Is that, do you find that the case with the chefs look into that also? Yeah. I mean, we talk about that a lot about spices because first of all, spices have a lot of nutrients, right? They have a lot of nutrients. You guys have probably heard about turmeric which has right. maybe one of the most powerful antioxidants, right? So, and it's the same for all of them. It doesn't matter what it is, garlic, cilantro, you know, rosemary, thyme, all of those spices, they're packed with nutrients. So they're really, really great to add to your diet for the nutritional value, but they do help make your food taste better. And if you are having a problem with taste, it does help a lot when you um, add a lot of spice to the food. And I think, you know, whatever it is you love, try adding more of it, right? And see if that helps with taste. I would also say um, smell too. So, you know, smell is really important for your taste, you know, being able to smell things. And, um, and that's another great way of trying to engage with your cooking, right? As you are cooking those herbs, smelling them as you go along, can help kind of kickstart that sensation that gets you to, to really enjoying your food and tasting your food. So do not be shy about spices. Um, and I don't conclude salt there. The salt is okay because it, it, is, it is good, but the average American gets a lot of it. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of spices, cinnamon's great. I mean, they're all really, really, really great for you in terms of nutritional value, but they also help make your food taste better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Katrina. So yeah. Thank you guys for thank having you. me. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy your beautiful evening. And I hope thank I hope we can connect again. Yes, definitely. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank Take you so care. much. Thank you. Bye bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. So um. You guys, you um next week we have um what do we have? Oh god, I spaced out. Alicia Spiro. So Alicia is is wonderful. She's out of the outpatient Norwich Hospital rehab, and she's a physical therapist. So she's gonna be, I'm gonna try I forget the topic that she was gonna do. So it's gonna be different than LSVT. She's gonna talk about different aspects, but I think it would be interesting. There's a lot of wealth of information that a physical therapist like Alicia can share with us. So it should be very interesting. Great. Yeah. Hey, Lynn, thank you for putting this all together every week. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love this. This is great. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so yeah. much for organizing me. One of the things that was great about Alicia also was that um, Bobby had done LSVT with her several years ago. Right. And he didn't 
and I felt he needed a brush up and he didn't want to go for the whole period. And she worked out a thing where we went in once a week with his trainer. And she, she taught the trainer things and the trainer incorporated it into Bobby's workout. It was just, oh I mean, she's very flexible as well as knowledgeable and kind and just fabulous. I mean, how amazing would it be to have somebody like Alicia with a Parkinson's Body and Mind program, like tweak the instructors, you know, like maybe try it like this or just kind of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you know, it'd be so amazing. So it'd be do great. You know, do you know if she is a neurologic clinical specialist? That's someone, a licensed PT who has over 2,000 hours of neurologic clinical practice. She teaches at Sacred Heart University. Yeah. I'm not sure about her, and I know she's the LSBT. I can ask her. I mean, she's got her PhD. Yeah. I, I looked into that. It, it's, it's hard to find. If you go through the uh, American Association of Physical Therapists, uh, in this area, I can only find two. Which and they're both, they're both taught at Sacred Heart. Oh, okay. Mm. And she's not one of them? Uh, good question. I don't remember to be honest with you, but there was only two that I could find. I found they're both, they're both, both were at Sacred Heart, which is hard to believe that there's no, you know, those are the only two in the state. I mean, I can't believe there's nobody at Yale. So I'm, I'm leery about how up to date that list is, you know, it's NCS is a certification. Yeah, right. I found someone at Westchester Medical Center. That was the closest that I could find. Yeah, there was, as I said, the ones I found, they're at Sacred Heart. But it, there's, I assume there's got to be more people than that with that certification. But I, it, was, it, it was difficult to find. Do you see anyone who has that certification? Do I? Yes. No, I've been, when Dr. Arclay came on, I, I got involved in that PT program. So I've been, we've been doing a Zoom with the young woman down, physical therapist down there. She's great. She's really been, we've, we've, we've Katrina met. Katrina also, right? Uh, yes. Lori, Lori Quinn? Chelsea Quinn. McPherson. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I, we did a two hour initial, then we did one hour last week. She, we didn't meet this, we, you know, she schedule wouldn't allow us to meet this week. We're gonna meet an hour next week. But she's, she's been terrific. Explains things extremely well. Really, really well informed. And she's, you know, she, knows a lot of things and Columbia they're doing a lot of you know different things so she's very very good I would say it makes it convenient that you can do it via zoom so you don't have to yeah, go all the way down yeah to exactly yes. she's not trying to go down to Columbia but she yeah. was the one who talked about that NCS and we looked into it and I can only find two people in, the, in this area which I, I, it's hard to believe there's not more people right. so it leads me to believe that that PT listing is not up to date is everybody on here involved with physical therapy in some way, shape, or form at currently? I'm not yet, except for that uh, Columbia study where they, they're not doing physical therapy. They're just supposedly trying to motivate me to exercise. And I'm having my exit interview on Friday, so that's over. But okay. they're the ones who told me through Columbia that I should, get, I should get a physical therapy with an NCS certification and see that person, you know, maybe once a year, but that's all they'll know. They know about neurological diseases. And that okay. would, as long as I'm going to a PT, I should pick, 
you know, I, I'm not as long as I'm going. I'm not going to anyone yet. Right. But said I should go to one. I, I see uh, Josh Lander in Westport. You know, you know Josh, he's a I, chiropractor, I, I but he's very, he teaches at Sacred Heart also. And he's a very sharp guy. He's, a lot of, he's had a lot of experience with Parkinson's people. He was a former collegiate boxer. He started the boxing program in this area. He's a smart guy. And he knows a lot about Parkinson's. What's his last name? Lander. He came, he came to speak to our yes, group. Yes, yeah. he did. He did. Joshua Lander. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to research this NCS physical therapy. I'm going to see yeah. what I can come up with because we should have more than that in this area. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought, but I, I couldn't find it. But. Let me see what I can do. Yeah. I also had a very interesting experience uh, since we last met. I was supposed to have an appointment with Alice Rusk, okay. and they said you can either come into the office or you can do a telemedicine video chat. So I chose video. I'm at the Cape. <laughs> um, and the night before, I was filling out all the papers, and it said they won't do video if you're out of state. Oh, yeah, there's some kind of regulation with that. But it's so funny, I do it with Roy Alcalay from New York, but I, New York, Connecticut, I said to her, it makes no sense. I'm a Connecticut, I can understand if they don't want someone yeah. from Tennessee getting a neurologist in Greenwich. But you know, if I didn't tell her I was in Massachusetts, no one would have ever known. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, there, it's a weird, it's like a weird policy or something like that. They have. might have to do with their license. Yeah. They might not be licensed to practice in Massachusetts. Yeah. Probably. Just that yeah, good point, Billy Boy. Patients from yeah. Connecticut, you think that would be okay, right? It's my regular doctor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is. You know, that's interesting because Westerly Hospital here in Rhode Island is part of the Yale New Haven system. Huh. I wonder if that would make a difference. Who's well, each time. You to have an appointment, just don't tell them you're not in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. So what happened? At the end, there was no conference? Um, I canceled. I just made another next available appointment, November 23rd. Yeah, and, then, seriously? and then she called me the next day and she had a telephone. Yeah. I mean, I didn't ask her to. That was really nice of her. She said, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't do the video thing, but let's talk. So. She's really busy. It's hard to get an appointment with her. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting because I told her, she said, well, you know, when you come back, you'll just come in. I said, I have the first available appointment. It's November 23rd. Right. She said, no, those are the schedulers. If you really need an appointment, call my nurse and she'll talk to Joan. Yeah. Joan, Joan, will, Joan will get you in. Joan, yeah, Joan will get you in. Yeah. yeah. She's a wonderful doctor though. She's just, she, uh, well, so a lot of people in this group go to see Alice Russ. I mean, I think a majority of people go see Alice And Alcalay. <laughs> Dr. Alcalay is I've seen almost the whole entire group too. Oh, you, yeah. got, you still going to see, uh, what's his name? Dr. Fon? Fon, he's playing golf right now somewhere. Is he Maybe like not, it's too hot, but he's, 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 he's retired. He retired, yeah. Yeah, but he's still involved with research. Um, so he's still involved with Columbia, so which is. Did you go to see, or Lynn, did you go to see Roy Alcalay at Columbia? I have, I have, I just saw Alice. So every three months, so then I'm gonna see Roy, I think it's October, September, October. I have a virtual appointment with him on August 4th. Do you, awesome. Yeah. I wanted to ask the group, has anybody been on or has been on Go Covery? The Amantadine, the new version? No. Of, 
No. I just got it. And I'll let you know what my... Uh, what is it? It's long-acting amanadine, right? It's once oh. a day. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, how's it sleeping? Yeah. Um, I went to sleep last night about 12.30. I got up at 5. So that was okay. Oh, my God. You're living large there, my friend. No. That you was look, I think I slept about totally 20 relaxed. minutes last night. I mean, anybody on the screen, you look like the most relaxed, I must say. <laughs> yes, you just you say smoke the joint. Yeah, I think you. I think you had medical marijuana. Sorry, I, mean, I just. I, I could tell by your pupils. <laughs> Doctor Jerry Garcia. Doctor Lynn. You've been you've been dipping in that that the little what is that place right down the street from your office there? You've been hitting that. Well, yeah. nice that so the dispensary when Jeff and I were looking into medical marijuana is. No joke. It's like right around the corner from his office. It's like right there. You know, what, like, what did, does anybody have a favorite Fitbit? Or a wearable for, for gauging your exercise and your activity. Apple Watch. The Apple Watch. I'm using the Apple Watch. Okay. I mean, wow. it tells me to stand up when I'm sitting too long. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. You yeah, like <laughs> I had a Fitbit, but you get a lot more information from the Apple Watch. I yeah, think. the Apple Watch is the best. It's original little Fitbit, so new ones are probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the fact, I feel like, get, you remember Get Smart? I, all of a sudden I realized I could, yeah. <laughs> I, I, could, I could answer, I mean, I could answer a phone call from my watch. I'm thinking, every time I do that, I think I've Get Smart. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing. You know, pretty soon we'll be talking to our, our shoe. When did he talk yeah. about the shoe? Yeah. Oh, well, now if you have <laughs> Your air buds, what are they called? Is that yeah. what they're called? Yeah. You don't even have to do it. You just like tap your ear and then you're uh, talking. You don't even need to talk into your watch. I know. It's, it's amazing. It really is. It's hard to keep up with everything. Right. And Alexa yeah. is always listening. Alexa's always listening. I know. That's spooky. Yes. Yeah, it's really spooky. Yeah. Do you ever have Alexa like not like misbehave like she doesn't answer the question she does something totally <laughs> random and it's like oh my god you know she's a plugger <laughs> all right rob walked away to tell you one day i i don't have alexa but i the siri on my phone someone says why is my husband such a jerk <laughs> i can't answer that question you have to go to the genius bar <laughs> Oh, oh, I know. It's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, we do that too. Like, what's the meaning of life? You know, we're doing stuff like that. Just say, I, I don't know about that. That's very interesting, though, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You have Alexa and you're having difficulty sleeping. Ask her to play classical lullabies. Yeah. Yeah. That you know. That's that's so relaxing. It works for you. Brought that up before, and it's really good advice. You know, it'd be we need almost to do every that. night. I play my my CD. Isn't that nice? That's I, I play my CD. I get into the shower. I yeah. you know get out. I go to sleep. Ooh, and I sleep <laughs> seven or eight hours. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, I gotta go make dinner. Nice to see everybody. Nice to see everybody. Enjoy the game. Yeah. Yes. Bye bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Yeah. Bye -bye. 
Stay safe and stay sane. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.